Today I'm blessed to have Paula Jane Radcliffe, MB, and a British long distance runner with me. She's a former world champion in marathon, half marathon, and cross country. So I'm extremely blessed and honored to have her here. We're sitting in a beautiful office in Monaco, looking at the sea caps because it's quite a windy day. Yesterday, Paula actually took part in the World and Peace Conference. Could you tell us a little bit about that? And of course, welcome Paula to Wellness Springs. And we're very honored and blessed that you're living here in Monaco. And um, I know you belong to lots of associations and great charities, and one of them is Peace and Sport. So could you tell us a bit about that because, and your involvement? Because I know you were there yesterday. Yes, um, Peace and Sport started back, I think, in 2007. Um, actually, an idea uh, that was thought up by Joël Bouzou, who is a former Olympic champion in the modern pentathlon, um, I think in Mexico in 68. And he were, was very touched by a lot of ways in which sports brings peace uh, and brings people together. Um, there are so many examples going back through history, Christmas Day or Boxing Day truce um, during the war. Nelson Mandela spoke about how powerful uh, sports was in being able to unite people uh, and I think increasingly in today's world there is a need for, for sports to to play that role and to bring people together and to stop that that infighting and, and bitterness uh, and the differences that we see kind of breaking cultures apart all around the world and um, so Joel had the idea he started out I think with about 10 champions for peace and I think I was one of the first of those and that's grown now we're over 100 champions for peace and in the 10th year of having the ambassadors there and ambassadors do a variety of things from just talking about the values of sport to actually going round to areas of conflict and doing something so many people had visited the Zakaria um, refugee camp in Jordan uh, and tried to do something there. Venustinium Garbo took part in the Great Lakes project whereby children in Burundi and surrounding countries came together to, to take part in basic sports projects and sports enterprises and just to, to come together and have fun and to to see kids that don't usually have the opportunity to laugh run around and have fun I think that's the biggest difference that we're trying to make and it's actually very refreshing sometimes when you hear what the children say uh, and their take on things it's a very simple take and I think sometimes as, as adults we become coloured by all of the experiences that we've had and they sometimes see it far more clearly and to be able to, to give them that opportunity to be children, to run around, to learn what it's like to be part of a team and to give back to that team and to respect your opponent, to respect yourself but at the same time regardless of where, where you come from, what your background is, to respect everybody else um, is one of the basic things that we're trying to teach and I think sport's very powerful for being able to do that. And I, I totally agree with peace bringing and sports, sports, um, okay. I totally agree with people and the community coming together through sports. I was actually very blessed to be in South Africa with 
the World Cup Rugby Union in 1995. I was part of the Wallabies, the Australian Rugby Union team, and we went to visit Nelson Mandela Cell and so forth, and we met some incredible people. But just to be at the opening ceremony, it was unbelievable. And I read on the news today that um, the Rugby World Captain, I'm not sure how you pronounce his name, Silai, um, received the award yesterday. How was that? I think that was um, that was very special, and I think the words that he spoke with were were excellent as well, and very very apt for for the occasion, and probably showed why he received the award um, because there were some very inspirational and very deserving people up for the award, but he was the one who received it, and he talked about how it had brought South Africa as a country together, and how kids that grew up anywhere in South Africa could now dream of being on the national sporting team and of finding more of themselves through sport and that nothing was now restricted or, or blocked and taken away from them. And uh, I think that was that was very important, the, work, the message that he brought with a smile on his face, with no chip on his shoulder, just very balanced and talked about how that had united South Africa um, and that it was a, a very important time for them to do so. It's wonderful, and as you mentioned, children, I think children are our future, and they're so innocent, and they're in the present moment and see things as they are. I hear that you've started something called Families on Track. Would you like to tell our audience about that? Yes, um, Families on Track, I guess, started uh, as an idea that I had. I took part in um, a relay run as part of the Monaco run here maybe four or five years ago, and my daughter ran the 3K section and I ran the 7K section, and she loved it. And she said, well, Mummy, why don't, why don't we have more of these where families can, can run together and can, can accomplish something as a family? And at the same time, I was doing a lot of work with the World Health Organization on a platform to try a working group to try and end childhood obesity um, and what struck me there was we were trying to put all these complicated solutions in place when actually it's fairly simple if children can be able to safely access physical activity um, and have that taught to them and in their daily life as a habit from their parents um, and so I was trying to think about a way that I could make it fun for families to have a taste of running to enjoy it and hopefully something that would then get them doing something each week as a family and having that essential family time as well which I think increasingly now with the busy lives that we all lead with all of the screens that are coming into play a kids are a lot less active but as families we spend less quality time together just talking and just having fun together um, so I came up with the idea uh, of a relay where the family achieves 10 kilometers together and it's it's not really a race um, you decide even how many between three and five in the team and what order you run what legs you run there's a 250 meter lap a 500 meter lap and a thousand meter lap so it makes it a bit of fun for the kids too making sure that they add the distances upright they collect the balls you pass out on your loops and you can race race as well um, and then when you've achieved 10 kilometers you run in as a family and you cross the finish line together and you celebrate what you've done and hopefully then you keep building that on that and spending that time going for a run together 
every weekend uh, and as I say spending that quality time together and that first step into enjoying running and enjoying being physically active and setting up those healthy habits for a lifetime. So we did the first one in Durham in July last year as part of the Durham City Run Festival and um, we were very fortunate Atom Bank came on board as a, as a local sponsor up there and we're looking to roll out uh, two or three more this year and then hopefully bring it to Monaco also um, in this coming year. It's a bit difficult at the moment with all of the construction particularly around the Love Auto area which would be ideal for hosting it but um, I'm talking to ASM Monaco and the Athletismo group section there about trying to, to bring it in. Yes it is a bit of a construction site here at the moment but with the big picture Lavotta Beach is going to be incredible and um, it's great that you've got the community being involved and bring them together so you mentioned your daughter does your son run as well? Yes, they, they both run. Um, my son's nine and my daughter's 12, almost 13. Um, so obviously she runs a little bit more, um, but they've, they're both very into the, the local races that I think are, are very well organised um, with us in Monaco. And they travel to, to different places. We were supposed to be going to the Cross des Îles a couple of weeks ago, but because of the big storms, understandably, they didn't want to have any more damage to, to the island. So that one will have to wait until next year. But that's a great experience and it's, it's a great community and I think that's one of the things we're also very fortunate about living here is that the climate and the, the sporting opportunities available for all ages are, are very wide-ranging and you can get out pretty much year-round um, so yeah both of my kids I, I'm, I'm glad are, are very physically active and do a range of different sports and that's what I really want I want them to have the opportunity to to be physically active to be fit and healthy but also to be able to find whatever it is that lights that passion for them that they really want to to follow further and to to commit a lot more of their energy to be it sport or be it something else entirely fantastic and you also mentioned obesity and i know it's a global problem for adults and children worldwide um, what do you do in the educational role with your children and diet um diet isn't necessarily a word per se that we mention or we talk about in our household other than that of a healthy diet um, and I think increasingly today uh, more and more often I find myself extremely grateful to my parents for the upbringing and the, the balance that they gave me growing up and the understanding of the importance of nutrition and the importance of I think everything in moderation fueling your body doing your academic work, just putting things in perspective, I think that, that grounding was very good. So I think subconsciously I've kind of put that without thinking into into my own children and they're also very lucky. They've, they've grown up in a culture of elite sport, healthy living. Um, so they, they see what athletes who achieve at the very top eat and how they fuel their body and how they train. They've kind of already put together the equation that hard work equals results and you have to fuel your body um, and that by eating the right things, by drinking enough water, that's really important. Um, and they're also... I guess getting a very good understanding through school and through through other things in this area through different setups and different foundations things like TAF as, as well the, of the, how important the environment is and how important especially living so close to the sea how important it is that we look after the oceans thank you yes 
everything is so toxic at the moment and it's about education again and um, I believe your father was a runner would you like to tell the audience how you got into running and how you became this most amazing athlete you are today um, yeah, my, my dad my dad ran, um, and my dad still runs when he can. He actually took part in our family uh, in the relay because my husband was away at the time last July, so he came up to Durham uh, and ran there. He has a few problems with his knees now, so can't run as often as he, he liked to. But um, he, he ran at school, then he gave up, um, went to university, uh, and then smoked, get, quit smoking when he met my mum and put on a lot of weight and then started back running. So as, as long as I've known him, he's been a runner um, and he was running London marathons, Mersey marathons. We lived uh, in Cheshire at the time uh, as I was growing up and I guess it would have been about five, six, seven and I would join in for runs at the weekend with him. I went down to watch him run in the London marathon, to Liverpool to watch him run in the Mersey marathon and that was where I really thought actually I, I love running I love the whole bars around particularly around the big marathons but just how I felt when I was running as well so he took me along to the local athletics club as soon as I was nine and old enough to join and then when we moved house from Cheshire down to Bedfordshire when I was 11 he actually did a lot of research into the best clubs for for kids in the area and that's where I met my coach Alex Stanton and his wife Rosemary who coached the whole girls group at Bedford and County uh, and I grew up with them and I was coached through Alex by Alex all the way through my career and then even later when my husband took over he still we still kind of worked I guess in tandem with Alex but he just didn't travel quite so much and what is it like working with your husband because he's a runner also isn't he Yes, he was a runner. He was a miler, um, a 1,500-metre racer, and then his career ended a little bit prematurely through quite a serious injury. Um, and so then he became my manager and my training partner. Uh, and then as Alex began travelling less and less, he kind of took over uh, as the coach, but again, using most of the, the principles that we kind of worked on always uh, with Alex. And I think... Um, on the one hand, it's very good because you have a very solid marriage where you understand and know each other very well. Having a partner that's kind of in the same profession as you and understands kind of what makes you tick, I think, is, is very important. On the other hand, you have to put certain rules in place that stop work coming home with you every night. And um, I think we we probably got very good at that um, about especially once the children were born it was much easier to come in the door and not keep discussing what had happened in training and what had happened at the track um, and then now we've kind of branched off I guess in, in different directions and uh, doing different things and so I guess we kind of can then maybe talk about work a little bit more at home in the evenings but sometimes we prefer to just keep it about the family and about the kids and have it be them the priority in the home. That's lovely because it's so difficult to keep a relationship these days. The divorce rate is sky high and people don't work at relationships. How did you find it being the top athlete, the world's number one fastest runner and juggling being a mum as well? I think again it's about having perspective then. Um, 
and recognizing the things that are really important. So from the minute that I became pregnant, the priority became the baby, and then it became two babies. And, and then, no offense to my husband, he never took a back seat, but obviously the, the kids are, are always going to come first. And I think you, you always have to be the person that you, you would have been anyway. Um, and I guess I never came into sport to, to be famous either um, I came into it to see how good I could be and to see how high I could get um, on the sporting field um, and so those other things were just something that I guess came as part and parcel and just had to be something that I had to, to deal with and, and sometimes it's hard to deal with sometimes it's intrusive sometimes there are things out there that are just plainly not true um, but I think having that home life and family and friends around you as long as they know the truth and they're very good at, at grounding you and kind of making you see what's really important when you come in each day I think that's really important so yeah I think it's about not letting circumstances whatever walk of life you're in change you and change your outlook on life yeah they can give you a lot more experience and maybe give you a better outlook on life but not make you you bitter and um, try and hold too many resentments because I think that's it's very tiring for a start trying to, to please everybody and trying to deal with, with those resentments and I think you just have to be the, the right person for you and be happy with the person that you are. Thank you yes mental stability is so important as well and how did you cope um, with your stardom? Uh, I'm trying to think um, I'm not sure I really thought of it like that I think I just have my plans and, and my goals laid out for for the year ahead much in the same way as I did when I was competing but now obviously they're in much wider areas um, and some of them involve just supporting my children helping them to find their own way and set their, their own goals there um, so I try each year to, to think about the direction that I want to go in and to, to just try and keep focused on that and yeah like I say um, some great advice that my grandma actually gave me um, growing up which was just basically give, give it 100% give it everything that you want to do give it your best shot and that's all you can do as long as you give it your best shot that's all that you can ask of yourself and just every once in a while take a step outside of your life and look back in and make sure that you're happy and proud of the, the person that you are and what you're doing with your life because you only get one so don't mess it up <laughs> That is wonderful advice. And what advice would you give to young runners, professional athletes that are starting out today? I think it's that much harder for, for kids starting out today. Um, I think the, I guess the, the culture surrounding sports, um, there's a lot of infighting even within sports. Um, there's a lot of talk in the media there are the elements uh, of cheating we've seen what happened with, with Russia uh, we saw what happened in cycling and athletics has had its own problems as well and I think my biggest advice would be to to don't let any of that stop you from doing what you want to do so really tune into to what you want do what you enjoy doing and set out with the goal being to find out how good you genuinely can be and I think if we have that moral basis intact for kids coming into sport and like I say that respect of your opponents um, which I think is very important in sport because everybody trains hard and works hard apart from those taking the shortcuts so when you respect the others for having done that and you partake in the competition in a very fair way then I think the outcomes are, are much better and you will find out how good you can be and you don't 
blame other people or accuse other people without any proof just because you're not good enough to be as good as you may have wanted to be because I think if you give it your best shot you should be very proud of yourself for what you have achieved and you will be able to hold your head up high and know that you've achieved as well as you can do and I think if we get that moral grounding everywhere then we are maybe making a bigger impact on the fairness in sport and uh, the anti-doping front than the investments which are so sorely needed in the medical side and the testing side and the research side but it's also making sure that, that that moral understanding and people coming into sport for the right reasons and playing sport in the right way yes you hit the nail on the head because I'm a firm believer you have to treat people how you want to be treated and uh, today now there's millions of people around the world watching sports on TV and live streaming and so forth and I think this you know it's shameful for the whole of the planet when people don't do the right thing and cheat as you said and it's great I know you've been heavily involved with the anti-doping boards and so forth and um, what was your experience with it because when you were wrongly accused many years ago that must have been devastating yes it was and it was without a doubt the hardest thing that I've ever had to to contend with I think to be to be accused of anything that you haven't done but to be accused of something that so goes against everything that you believe in and everything that you've always stood for is very very hard and um, it's probably the only time in my life where I've actually needed to, to go and talk to, to a psychologist and trying to just put my own thoughts because to to get your head around the unfairness of the situation and the fact that people will believe what is being said even when it isn't true and that there's not a way for you to be able to to prove the truth it, it's very hard and that's when I think you have to again fall back on the fact that the people around you and knowing what you did yourself being able to look yourself in the mirror every day and know that that's right and to be able to keep fighting um, and that my family understand and my friends and the people that matter to me know the truth uh, and understand the truth and I think certainly it changes and affects you as a person in terms of the judgments that you're then willing to make on other people um, so very rarely now I read and believe anything in the newspapers um, without actually having it corroborated um, by people involved and I always try and understand both sides although there's often more than one uh, of each story and of each claim because too often now I think especially with the advent of social media and just how easy it is to anonymously fling out accusations there with not one grain of truth and people believe it and it's a very very dangerous medium and I think for an adult saying that you have to recognize how important that is for young teenagers as well youngsters who are now reading these things believing them the danger I think for mental ill health uh, repercussions from all of this are huge um, and that's why I'm very very careful about what my daughter reads on social media and that she understands that whole platform uh, as well as possible and the fickleness of it as well I, I think it is really important because yeah that that sense of, of balance and perspective that sense of giving people the benefit of the doubt until you know and you have the proof is becoming lost uh, and I think it's a very dangerous precedent.
totally agree and the media are so quick to point fingers and I guess over the years that's what sells you don't hear anything good you know they're quick to point fingers and for young children it's really hard like even the Dalai Lama said you know one of the biggest causes in the world is stress and it all comes from technology you know for the young children on Facebook they're forever looking to see if they've made a comment and if someone's given them a like so they're obsessed with technology and people liking them and um, you talked about environment and nature and education and to me it's so important to be out in nature away from technology and to respect the planet and I know you mentioned about TAF and the, I'm a member of TAF as well and it's about pollution so everything is about education do you go around the schools or educating people as well? Um, not, sometimes I, I go into schools but not on a regular regular basis um, but I think you really hit the nail on the head it, um, with it, it's about respect and it's about respect in all walks of life it's about respect for yourself because yes you're absolutely right kids should not be dependent on whether they are liked on social media. If they respect themselves and they know that they are doing things in the right way and they're being fair to their friends and their friends are being fair to them, that should be enough. It shouldn't matter whether you're liked or disliked on social media. Um, the respect for the environment, I think, is, is so important. Um, and I think learning and understanding a little bit more about that, we can never know too much the, the importance of the oceans, respecting the oceans as well, respecting the sea. We saw the impact of the storms a few weeks ago and how that maybe wasn't respected enough. Um, so again, that word just keeps coming back. I'm a UN um, clean air um, advocate for clean air and a World Athletics clean air ambassador. And that is, is very important when you hear stories like the one about poor Ella Roberto in London who actually um, suffered 28 asthma attacks and on the 28th one sadly passed away I think in 2013 and she lived just 25 metres from a busy road in London and they're still denying that the road pollution had anything to do with it but on every one of those hospital admissions the air pollution was at its highest recorded so I think again it's common sense and it's respect and it's let's do something about the future planet for, for our children let's make sure that it's there and while we're about it, let's keep treating everybody with a bit of respect and you talked about the, the journalists and um, for me I think it's in the sporting world we have the anti-doping agencies we have the ethics boards that are in place to make sure that everybody plays by the rules and to try and make sure that everyone plays by the rules and part of me thinks well where is that in journalism because there there is nothing to stop a journalist writing a lie and then Everybody believes that in the paper, and that goes further and further. So maybe there needs to be some kind of setup where there is actually, at the very least, a slap on the wrist when you knowingly propagate and, uh, and print a, a lie and damage somebody's reputation, or maybe worse than that. Um, and yeah, the, then a series of those results in some kind of fine or something because in every walk of life I think now there needs to be some kind of controlling system because sadly it doesn't seem enough anymore to just expect for people to do the right thing. Totally agree and the people who are pointing the fingers they don't realize how traumatized the 
victim is, and especially like you said, when it was totally against everything that you believed in. It's it, very tragic and a lot of people don't ever get over it. You mentioned seeing the psychologist for the first time. Did you, um, how did you manage when you were running? You know, what did you do for self-talk? Did you visualize the track? Um, I was actually very lucky um, when I was, uh, what had been probably about 15, 16, I was on an East of England um, training camp and they taught us visualization techniques and I think a lot of them I'd kind of maybe intuitively just kind of developed on my own. I think my dad's very logical thinking and, and very good at, at giving me a little bit of grounding in that growing up and I think naturally... I've always been probably a very good logical thinker, very good at putting things in perspective. I'm much more of an optimist um, rather than a pessimist. I prefer to think about the things that have gone well rather than dwell on the things that didn't go right. Um, and I think that certainly helped me through my career. I think remembering as well to keep everything in perspective and that it, it is only sport. Um, and there are a lot of people dealing with a, a lot of things that are far, far more important in life than, than whether a race goes well or not. So being able at the end of the day to put it in that perspective helps. I mean, it doesn't help right at the time because obviously right then it's the biggest disaster that's ever happened to you. But when you sit down and you think about it, it's, it's just a race. I think that, that definitely helps. And for me, running was much more than my profession. It was also my meditation time, my feel better time. So if I still now have a, a problem that I need to sort out, if I'm feeling a bit low, I'll go for a run. Even this morning I was running along the, the Grand Corniche up in Ayres and you think even though it's blowing a gale and it's hard work, you look at the view and you just it just puts things in perspective and you actually think oh, I'm very lucky to, to be the person that I am and to be in the situation that I am. So I think all of that really helps and certainly when I went through that difficult time, that helped me then and I guess the techniques that I'd learned throughout my career about focusing on what's important perspective looking at yourself in the mirror all of those things really helped me to, to get through that I think the the hard thing for me as a mum was seeing the impact on my daughter um, because my son at the time thankfully was it was too young to really understand what was going on um, but she understood uh, and it certainly affected her so I think that was more where I actually needed the help was how do I how do I help uh, a then eight, nine-year-old deal with this? And how do I make sure that in her world everything is still okay? You hit an important point saying about your daughter and, you know, I'm sure she would have got people pointing fingers and saying bad things to her at school. How did that affect her? I think, uh, again, that's maybe one of the advantages to, to living here. Um, the fact that um, although... It is, of course, a very, very privileged um, society and we're very lucky to live here in Monaco. It's a very affluent society as well. It's also a very cosmopolitan um, and, and very balanced. So you're actually, in terms of racism issues or bullying issues, they're still there, but they're much, much less. And I think there's a much greater acceptance amongst the kids. They see things with a a much better sense of perspective, I think, than in certain other, other countries around the world where they only are in, in touch with people of the same nationalities that have had the same experiences growing up. Here there are so many different nationalities and 
everybody has their slightly different take on it and they all respect each other for they may squabble over it but they have their they respect each other for their different takes on, on the situation so I think that certainly helped and I think we have a very strong rule in our family where if anything's bothering you you talk about it and thankfully touch wood to this point um, both of my children whenever anybody said anything at school whenever they've been worried about something they do come home and they do talk to me about it and we talk about it and we try and explain as much as possible and to be honest the situations from her peers were, were not big. Uh, the other, it, it was more what she would maybe read or see, and the fact that journalists were calling the house as well. Wow, that's total um, invasion of privacy as well. <laughs> I'm well. I don't know how you coped with it because you know it's bad enough. It's so traumatic. Anyhow, that's in the past, <laughs> thankfully. Um, you mentioned asthma, and I read that you had exercise asthma as a 14 year old and we also mentioned pollution for me I think a lot of the medications today you know there's so many side effects and so forth how did you cope with the asthma and how long did it last and do you suffer with it now? Yes, yeah, so uh, I, I was diagnosed with exercise-induced asthma when I was 14 and I'm still asthmatic now. Um, I think I was very, very lucky at the time, especially looking back now. I think my GP was years ahead of his time. Uh, I went in, I was, I was actually blacking out after training runs uh, and I was really worried. The doctor was going to say, right, that's it, you can't run anymore. And he said, no, 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 you're, you're asthmatic, you're going to have to take inhalers um, and you're going to have to learn to control your asthma, but it's not going to stop you doing sport in fact sport is actually good for you because it's going to make your lungs stronger and healthier so they'll be able to cope with the effects of the asthma um, much more easily so yeah because I was 14 at the time I've, I've grown up with it I don't actually think I think I'm very fortunate mine isn't severe severe um, and as so long as I manage it well and I'm aware of the triggers and I increase my dose of the preventer inhaler in time then I am able to, to manage it there are occasions of course when some things like flu if I get any sort of head cold and I fly a lot or I'm at altitude or I go for a run when I shouldn't do then nine times out of ten it's going to develop into bronchitis or even worse pneumonia pleurisy um, but I've gotten better <laughs> Uh, recognizing those signs early on uh, and stopping that developing further and um, I mean it's a huge factor in why I wanted to breastfeed both of my kids um, past six months to minimize the effects of them inheriting it um, my dad's also asthmatic so I, again he was a role model in terms of yeah it's not going to stop me doing what I want to do and I work with Asthma UK and the biggest thing that we do is, is yeah, reinforce to children that it's it's not going to stop you doing sport. In fact, doing sport is good for you, but you have to learn to control your asthma and not let it take over and control your life. Uh, and I think that's the biggest thing. But yes, it is concerning prevalence of it and how much that's growing in today's society. And I'm sure that is linked to, to the, the air quality. Yeah, and I come from a medical background and I also know a lot of um, asthma and similar like psoriasis and things like that. They're all part of the nervous family so uh, a lot of stress will bring that on as well. And um, have you ever tried stomach breathing? Because, yeah. Yes, well that's the, one of the techniques that I was taught um, back on that camp when I was about 15, 16, um, was visualisation and centralisation, they called it, but it was essentially, yeah, just 
deep stomach breathing, deep relaxing. It's actually very good at getting rid of the hiccups as well. It's the best <laughs> cure for hiccups that I, I've found. Um, but yeah, just that generally teaching people to, to breathe correctly. Um, and I think for, for kids that have asthma as well, so many just think you just put the inhaler in your mouth, press the button and that's it, it's going to help. It's not. If you don't breathe the medication deep yeah. enough, it, it can't help, help it to, to settle down the inflammation and also more is not better all the time. Once you've taken the dose, then that dose is going to work for four hours. It's no use to just keep puffing and puffing and puffing on the inhaler. So yeah, it's again back to education and back to, to making sure that the doctors are well educated and that they're passing that on to, to the kids and yeah, the kids understand and us understanding what we can about the environment and what we can do to, to safeguard it for, for future generations. Um, with World Athletics, we're actually rolling out a program in stadiums around the world where we put air quality monitors into the stadiums. There's one in Monaco, there's one in Sydney, there's one in Addis Ababa, um, there is one in Tokyo, uh, and we're looking at rolling out 100 or so over the next couple of years. Um, and they will give vital information to data to help us understand air pollution much more, but also to give information to people exercising about when is the best time of day to go out and exercise, because it's all well and good, us saying, yeah, you need to get out and run, you need to be healthier, you need to be fitter, but if we're sending people out to run in air that's not clean, then we're actually giving a detrimental effect to, to, to their long-term health. So I think making sure that we're encouraging people to run at the safest time of the day as is possible, um, that's kind of a no-brainer I think for, for world athletics. Yeah and I think especially when you're at a, a world class level like yourself it's so important but people will aspire to you so I know psychologically it doesn't matter if you train at club level or at the world class level you go through the same emotions and you still want to take care of your body your body mind and I've been teaching meditation and stomach breathing for years and I know psychologically people freak out and like you said earlier about balance with we mentioned the word diet but that's just another word for having a balance of the right types of food so what would you advise young athletes regarding air pollution it's wonderful that this is happening around the world i think just to to be aware of it um and to to do what we can i mean I think it would be naive to expect us all to suddenly stop driving our cars, to stop taking flights. Um, we can't do that and still keep going on with our lives, but we can start thinking a little bit more about what types of cars we drive, what types of fuel we put in those, about minimising our, our air travel and certainly about doing things like cutting down on our plastics use uh, uh, and things like that. So I think my advice would be and hopefully it's coming soon enough um, that if everybody starts to think about it and everybody starts to do those little things yes a couple of people doing those little things is not going to have it's going to be a drop in the ocean and it's not going to save the ocean at all um, but if we all start doing that then that can together ha have an impact and it's, it's just a little bit more awareness a little bit more thinking about things I mean here we're actually 
very blessed with the amount of sunlight, the amount of wind we've got yeah. today, um, but certainly the sunlight. So we've put solar power um, panels on the roof of the house. Our, our apartment in, in Monaco, I think, was one of the first buildings in Monaco to, to have um, solar panels there. And I think just trying to, to think about things as much as possible, electric cars, and just trying to, to make those differences actually again here we're very lucky I'd never drive the kids to school I never pick them up from school we have to just walk because it's it's a very short distance and trying to to kind of think about things like that as much as possible the information we're trying to give to, to school kids in, in London is okay it might take you five minutes longer to walk to school if you walk through the parks but it's that much better for your health and for your psychological health as well because while you're doing you can you're taking some physical exercise you're getting those mental uh, effects uh, of psychologically just feeling better that little boost of endorphins as well um, so it's it's yeah trying to think about the bigger picture and that five minutes extra in your day five ten minutes extra for walking the long way around is actually a lot more added on in quality of life totally agree with you and also you mentioned we're blessed in monaco because especially with the children that everybody comes from a different part of the world and i believe we're living now in a multicultural world most countries you go to people are from everywhere and i know certainly in business by having a multicultural team you can make the best choices because everybody has their input. How is it for you, because even though you run as a single person doing the marathons, you're, everything is part of the team as well because you had your running coach and nutritionist and so forth and I'm sure today it's even more micromanaged. Yes, absolutely. I mean, everything in life, I think it is always, you're always part of a team. It's never one person on their own. It's it's always that team and that team working together and every single cog in that wheel is, is vital. Um, and yeah, I think it's, it's the most important thing in today's society increasingly uh, as it becomes so much easier for everybody to travel and everybody to mix, um, then, then it's so much more important. I had a big team behind me. Uh, it's one of the reasons that I was a big opposer uh, of Brexit and everything um, related to that because I think what made Europe great was why it came together in the first place was that we are much stronger as a team and everybody brings their own strength to the table and by having all of those strengths working together and that check and balance situation as well of some, okay you, you've lost the plot there <laughs> you're not really on the right page you need to look at this being able to discuss and being able to talk about that without getting offended um, without getting angry but just discussing rationally because we might all think we're right but none of us are right all of the time so we need to have that kind of check and balance that different perspective on things and we need to respect that yes it might be at total odds with what we think but it has a valid thinking behind it and a valid reason behind it and maybe by listening to every one of those valid reasons we can actually come out with something that is solid and strong moving forward and my view is that everybody is always better off as part of a team than trying to do something on their own. Thank you. It's so important teamwork and like you say this is the way forward for the whole planet and having balance and having respect and like you said it's if one or two of us pick up rubbish it's not going to make an effect but if we all do it so through sports you're bringing the community together and I think if all of us can make a big clear message to protect the environment as well because we have to have a balance of everything in our life it's going to 
make a big change in our world. So I'm so grateful to have uh, you as living here in Monaco, an icon, and to have such great values and do so many good things for the planet. Thank you. Um, I mean, uh, I think there are, there are so many people um, all over the world who are starting to 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 speak up more and to to stand up more. And again, it goes back to to what we were saying earlier: is that people think if I do something on my own, it's not going to make any difference. But once everybody starts doing that thing anyway, just because it's the right thing to do, it is going to make a difference. Um, and again, it, it, it's going back to the education, going back to to children, and just making sure that first and foremost we we teach them self-respect and to respect each other to respect the environment uh, and to respect the planet and i think if we look after those things then things are looking rosier going forward than, than, than maybe they they are right now if we all just focus on what's the right thing for us to do right now um for ourselves we shouldn't be thinking about that we should be thinking about the children and what's right for them in the future Wonderful words of advice because um, the children are our future and we have to take one step at a time. If you don't stand for what you believe in, nothing's going to happen. So even if it's you starting to pick up one piece of rubbish a day, people around you will watch you and see you and follow. So it's brilliant. And um, I, I just think, you know, you hit on respect and being able to share with your children so they feel comfortable and open and can talk about what's going on. So for me, I think it's really important to forgive people for their actions and know that, you know, if you do something wrong, we can learn by our mistakes and, you know, not be pointing the fingers. So for me, it's all about treating people with respect and giving gratitude and forgiveness. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think um, nobody's perfect. Uh, and I think um, anybody who thinks they are, they are probably the furthest from being perfect uh, that you could imagine. And I think it is that accepting that we all make mistakes. And in fact, you're probably supposed to make mistakes, uh, particularly as you're growing up, because that's how you learn. Um, and the best lessons that we learn are not from victories and things going well. We learn the best lessons from, from defeat and, and from things not going our way. And then we learn how to how to c come around that, how to get over it, and how to try again a different way, how to respect a bit more our bodies, ourselves, and, and other people, and how to, to move on a bit more. So through learning through all of those and through recognizing that, yes, people make mistakes. Whether they have made those mistakes intentionally is, is something very, very different. And I think the bigger question, rather than whether you ever make a mistake, is whether you learn from the mistakes and whether you meant to make them in the first place. Uh, and it's, it's the danger of bitterness as well. I think um, that too often people who keep making mistakes tend to then get very bitter and then start to look for, to blame other people for the reasons why things haven't gone their way and why they haven't succeeded. <clears throat> Sometimes there is no one to blame. You just have to put it in perspective, learn from it, uh, and move on. But carrying that bitterness with you, I think, is a very, a very draining way to, to, to live your life. Uh, and I think it's far easier to, to learn what lessons you can, to put it behind you, deal with it, uh, and then move on with your life and just try to, to make those improvements and make those adjustments moving forward. Yeah, And, and as you said, just... For forgive people who make mistakes um, no, I, 
especially those who haven't made them deliberately. Yes, and I know from experience um, with clients, when they hold on to bitterness and resentment, they end up being so sick. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned about the air pollution in London and the person who's recently died. You know, it's about taking responsibility for your actions and nobody wants to take the responsibility for the air pollution so this is why they're all pointing fingers and blaming other people so yeah absolutely i mean i think um again there it, it's not about blaming we don't need to, to blame someone we just have to do better um and it's nobody's fault and it's all of our faults um but by all of us making a little bit of a difference and trying to to change moving forward that's the only way we're going to get out of this so it, it's it's a little bit like kind of going back to that kindergarten class where everybody's blaming each other instead of just saying okay well, let's forget that the mistake's been made whoever did it did it and now we're just going to move on and, and forget about it and just hope that those mistakes aren't repeated through growing up and through society and so that's the the most important thing is that we we learn from things and we try and avoid as much as possible and again that we work together as a team to to do something about making it better in the future because we can't do anything against about the past it's done now totally agree and what would you say has been your biggest challenge and the biggest lesson that you've learned today <laughs> that's a good question um i think what well, the biggest challenge for for sure was for me um overcoming those those false accusations and false interpretation of, of the data that was leaked uh, and trying to do so in a way that was staying true to myself that wasn't compromising a system that i actually believed in uh, and was needed to to help clean up athletics and certainly wasn't dragging any other innocent athletes into it um, and so long as I stuck with that I think that helped me um, and I guess that taught me that biggest lesson that you can't please everybody all of the time you just have to be true to yourself and you have to live your life as well as you can and value the people around you who will stand by you and who do understand the truth um, and kind of focus on that so focus on the positive things rather than focus on the negative things yes because you said also we are blessed to live in Monaco and for some people it's very difficult because you I love the fact that you are true to yourself and you're passing that on to your children but so many people get wrapped up with the luxuries here like the best car the best dress and so forth yeah and I think um, I mean I think we notice that more here um, but sadly I think that's probably true in, in every society um, and at the same time, there are a lot of people here who have some very refreshing views on how to live your life and, and how to, to carry on um, with that. We've talked about the, the way that the education system is, is very good here and is actually very cosmopolitan and gives the kids a, a very rounded look and outlook on, on everything. Um, and I think in every society there are going to be those people who get hung up on, on appearances and on material things. Um, but there are also going to be those who understand the, the important things too. And I think yeah, one of the great things about Monaco too is 
how um, supportive the prince is of, of the environment and, and yes there is a lot of construction at the moment and that looks as though it conflicts a little bit with the ideal but I, I think moving forward there is that understanding and that um, willingness the kids are understanding a lot more about recycling, about protecting the ocean, about respecting the sea respecting nature uh, and it, it's trying to make sure that that carries forward uh, in the ways that we can and of course there are economic reasons as well that have to to come into play but I think having someone in charge who uh, who understands the importance of the environment is important and that that carries through with actions and not just with lip service then that is very very important. Yes we're very blessed because we're living in the second smallest country in the world and to have Prince Albert as an ambassador for clean healthy living is incredible and we might be a small country, but the voice is very strong and powerful. On that note, I would like to say thank you so much for all that you do in Monaco and around the world and for making our world a better place to live in. Thank you. And where can people contact you about all these wonderful things that you're doing? Oh, um, I guess so. Well, we've got familiesontrack.org um, uh, and then we are setting that up at the moment. It will carry on in the Durham City Run Festival, Worcester um, Run and possibly in Newcastle as well. Um, so you can contact me through that. You can contact me on, on Twitter, on Instagram or just walking around. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much.